1: Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig.
0: My name is Andrew, and I am off. I'm marching off off to war.
1: <laughs> is that the energy Local you're bringing me. to the battlefield? <laughs> yeah,
0: because <laughs> we got another one of these these war boys.
1: Yeah, we do got a war boy this week. Well,
0: if we were gonna do a, a long read podcast about. I don't know, super long book series is about some guy and his adventures in historical battles. Uh-huh. We would have lots of lots of fodder, I think.
1: It would be called Great Men, but great would be spelled G-R-A-T-E, and it would mm-hmm. be like a old-timey soldier getting cheese grated because war just grates you up. It's so bad. I was going to call it War Boys, but I like your idea
0: too.
1: Well, mostly because like... So I'm going to be talking about uh, "Sharp's Eagle by Bernard Cornwell. Uh, I don't know if it's Bernard or Bernard. Let's Mr. Cornwell.
0: Mr. Cornwell.
1: Uh, and it's He refers one to th- himself on his own websites
0: about page as a war baby. One word.
1: Whoa. Well, he was born in 1944. He was born in 1944.
0: Sense. So he came out of the womb and he was like, I'm war
1: baby. I'm war baby. <laughs> Uh, but it's just like, it's this, you know, a, a, a man of greater than average ability, luck, and charisma. Um, you but know, not so much that you would have read
0: about him in a history book or something. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Winds his way through the great battles of history in whatever way the author chooses. Yeah, that's a whole genre of thing. I actually... You know, when we did Master and Commander a few weeks ago, I felt like it had kind of surprising we hadn't done more of these sooner it's It mm-hmm. just maybe just isn't either of our like natural jam,
0: yeah, I think if we're gonna be reading a book that's about a war, it's usually gonna be about like a fantasy war where <laughs> usually <laughs> mystical creatures are hacking at each other and not so much <laughs> the historical stuff. I also just like I don't know what historical periods get you out of bed in the morning. I'm mostly, if I'm going to be trying to read historical fiction, it's going to be in like antiquity and less Mm. in less in like, the the 19th century sort of people stabbing each other with bayonets kind of of stuff yeah
1: i don't know what era the
0: the napoleonic era doesn't hold a lot of fascination for me i can't say why but it just doesn't
1: i do have fond memories of studying it in history class because i had a good teacher and i did well on the tests but like
0: Mm, that's crucial
1: (laughs) i don't know if it was because like i really liked it Mm -hmm. you know um, but I kind of liked this book,
0: mostly. I'm very curious to hear how you'd stack it up to Patrick O'Brien's work, The Master and Commander Guy. Um, he, sure. Just to kick us off, yeah. he once said of Bernard Cornwell's works, and it is Bernard's, by the way, Yep. yep. Uh, that there was, quote, too much plot, not enough lifestyle, which Cornwell did not take as an insult coming from Patrick <laughs> O'Brien.
1: Yeah, and because they're both playing in the lineage of the Horatio Hornblower books by C.M. Mm-hmm. Forrester, uh, and we'll talk about Bernard a bit more. But like, he, apparently, he read a bunch of those books as a kid. Those are all like set on navy ships. Patrick O'Brien is borrowing from those as well, and he's like, there wasn't an army guy. Yeah, where's the army guy? So I wrote an army guy. Yeah.
0: I Thanks mean, Britain's more known more known for its navy, I suppose. But yes. where's the army guy? Where's the Come army on? guy? Probably um, he's probably in America losing a war.
1: <laughs> there is there's a character in this book. Um, oh, I don't remember his name. Leroy, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, and he is a an American loyalist who had to leave up the, the newly formed United States of America because he was a British loyalist. <laughs> now he's fighting in. Uh, wellesley coming to be uh wellington's army
0: mr Uh, cornwell himself of course not a loyalist the man was born in 1944 and he's an english american historical fiction author um you know he's he's got a foot in both camps he was awarded an obe in 2006 for services to literature and television production we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit but in the late 1970s he met his second wife who was american she couldn't or didn't want to leave the country. Like she had three kids at the at the time, I believe. Mm, mm-hmm. And so he moved to America, couldn't get a green card, and that's when he started writing in general and just like writing sharp books, is because I can write stuff without having a green card. So that's yep. what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> um
1: well yeah, because uh, he grew up in he was raised in Essex. His uh he didn't meet his birth father until he was in his 50s. His birth father is Canadian. Um, and he was raised by this family of like Christian fundamentalists.
0: Yeah. And he renounced that later. To yeah. Become got atheist, out of there. Which is not a, not, a, not, a, not a faith pathway that I'm familiar with at all in my own life.
1: He did study history at the University of College London, then became a teacher. And before he emigrated to be with his second wife and not work in America and just be an artiste um, mm-hmm. a historical artiste uh, he worked for the BBC news show nationwide covering uh, Northern Ireland mm-hmm. I don't know whose side he was on if he was on your side or not but not not sure um, what else do you what else do we need to know about uh bernard andrew i mean
0: most of most of what i know about him has to do with his work because dude wrote like two books a year year? forever and then more recently has dropped back to merely one book per year so you know
1: (laughs) pick pick it up (laughs) bernard well you know we do at least 52 podcasts a year so we're
0: still going faster than him
1: in terms of, in terms like, of output, like reading
0: <laughs> words said, <laughs> mm. I think we I think we haven't beat. It's Hard to say. I don't know how many words we say in a given episode. Maybe, I don't want to. Somebody will find out for us. Nope. No um, thanks. But yeah, he's so he's known not just for this sharp series, but uh, also uh, the Warlord Chronicles, which is set in Arthurian Britain. Okay, uh, there is a series about looking for the Holy Grail. There are a, a big series of novels about England's origins called the Saxon Stories. Oh, yeah, because um, he of believes, which the lost yeah. kingdom is is one. So sometimes it's referred to by that name too.
1: He believes he is descended from Utred of Ma maburg. Sure. Um, an, an 11th century Saxon lord, and so that's okay. one of the. I think that might be the main character of that series, and he's like, yeah, I think
0: that's his his own history, and also a yeah, like living in America, he's like, man, everybody here knows America. about the the quote origin of America, and by that we mean the part where history starts because white people showed up, yeah, um, but people don't know that. People don't know the the. England, like founding story as well. So why don't I re- write a bunch of books about it? Yep. Um, He wrote some books set during the American Civil War, which is technically a Sharp, a Richard Sharp spin-off series. Whoa, really? Because Richard Sharp's son is in them. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> um, And then a bunch of all- other one-off things, plus a nonfiction book about the Battle of Waterloo. Um, okay. So, you know, Napoleonic period is one that he comes back to a couple of times at least. <laughs> sure. Uh, moving on to Richard Sharp himself, who is the the rifleman who features in this book yeah. and all the other books because they all have his name in the title.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: um, yeah. So, like you said, it's he he was inspired by Horatio Hornblower, but like wanted a guy who was on his feet instead of in a boat. Sure, <laughs> don't we all? The books were published between uh, so. Most of them came out between 1981 and 2007. Like he, the series was coming out a bunch of entries in the 80s and 90s and into the early 2000s. He gets to Sharp's Fury in 2007, then takes an extended break. But you can't keep you can't keep Richard Sharp down. He's back in 2021. <laughs> He's back in the book Sharp's Assassin, and then the next Sharp book will be published. This fall, in October and November. Oh, my gosh. The country you live in. So this guy's still kicking. I had no idea. I don't have three-star Goodreads reviews for this, so I'm not going to sing the song. I did find while I was just looking to see what people generally thought about the historical accuracy of these books, um, a Redditor named Cadus Vow from 11 years ago. Mm. (laughs) And hopefully that's not like a reference to something like some white supremacy stuff. (laughs) Yeah. He says of the quality of the books, both to their credit and detriment, I guess. Uh, He says, you'll find that all the sharp titles start to run together and the quality of the writing is virtually identical in each one. They're not literary masterpieces, but they're not garbage. Cornwell writes to a formula. Uh, This bugs me. Rifles, Waterloo Eagle and the India Trilogy are the most interesting. I tend to get bored when Sharp spends the other titles wrapped up in some stupid treasure hunt or cat and mouse game with a Frenchman. Sure, <laughs> but it sounds like if you know it's it's the Redwall series was this for me as you know in my my young adult reading period is like it's just a million books they came out like one a year they were all pretty much the same in terms of like prose quality and story structure yeah <laughs> and, but you knew you knew what you're getting so it was fun it was
1: good I, I did find a three star Goodreads review three star mm, that, yep. Towers all the way across the room. Three
0: star good reviews
1: by uh, Algernon (parentheses) Darth Anion. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Just... Who said? I'm reading the history of Richard Sharp Adventures in chronological, not publication order. So, Sharp's Eagle was the first book published in '81. Yeah. Um, he got he was he knew he wanted to write a book. About this battle between, you know, the British army and it was, in, you know, dealing with the East India Company and colonialism in India. And he's mm-hmm. like, I don't know that I'm ready for that yet. So I'm going to write these warm up novels first. <laughs> uh, but they're out of chronological sequence for this character that he created. Um, and Algernon says, uh, this has a side effect of accentuating the uneven quality of some of the books and the episodic nature of the saga with some in- inconsistencies from one book to the next that do not bear too close a scrutiny. Um, so like, yeah, like
0: in one in one of the books, Sharp gets a scar and Cromwell has come out and said, like, I'm really sorry. I don't always remember what side the scar is supposed <laughs> to be on.
1: Well, it's just, it sounds like, you know, this book, I think... It, Eagle is now like eighth in the chronology. Yeah, it is, it
0: is number eight in the chronology, and I've got um, so. But aside from the the India books, which I think sure, are, uh, so those are chronologically first and came out in the late nineties. The most interesting, like the most interesting chronology thing, I think, is the book Sharps Rifles, which is number six in chronology. Came out in nineteen eighty eight. So this book was written. Uh, at the request oh, yeah. of a production, a production company that wanted to adapt the Sharp yes. series for a bunch of TV movies, uh, they did successfully do this. They starred Sean Bean as Sharp. Heck yeah! Uh, they ran two or three of these a year between ninety three and ninety seven, and then two more in two thousand six and two thousand eight. Must have been wild to like. <laughs> Have Sean Bean ascend to worldwide fame, thanks to the Lord of the Rings movies, and then have him come back and do these TV movies yeah. about this guy. <laughs> like, uh, first movie also starred Brian Cox of Succession fame. Whoa. Thought you would, thought you would like that. I do. Um But anyway, to help get the show off the ground, he wrote Sharp's Rifles, which is at the time it was the earliest Sharp book chronologically because it needed to serve as a backstory that could be easily adapted. Mm. And also they needed it to be set in Spain so they could get uh, co-funding- From a bunch of Spaniards to shoot I love the, this to shoot, to shoot the story there. It's so good. Um, he was kind of skeptical about Sean Bean playing Sharp at first, mostly because he didn't have black hair and Sharp in the books does have yep. black hair. Well, okay. Um, but Cornwall came to like bean's performance so much that he made sharp like he he made him like grow up in yorkshire so that he would match sean bean's accent i love it and then in later books he just kind of stopped mentioning sharp's hair color at all so, <laughs> that, so that you could imagine sean bean in the role if you wanted to that's pretty
1: cool yeah
0: that was the most fun thing i think i found while i was researching this is just all that all that sean bean stuff
1: yeah well it's just like i don't know man they just churn stuff out like this in Britain and it's like
0: they simultaneously churn it out, but also like take forever to do it. Yeah, because they'll do like I mean, this was the case with the the early Thomas the Tank Engine series is I'll tell you what. OK, those boys, those boys did not come out very often.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you get what you get, and but you they're, just they're famous it. for
0: doing like one six episode
1: series of a TV show every like four years, yeah. at least in this like 80s and 90s yeah, period. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, the last thing I'll say, this book uh, was a Patreon recommendation from our standing list of things that we owe to cover for uh, some of our supporters. Um, One of our supporters, Death Star Cookie Jar, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, who's been waiting patiently for us to cover this book, Mm -hmm. um, said, I love listening to your show. Makes my morning commute so much better. I recommend reading Sharp's Eagle, the first published book of Bernard Cornwall's Richard Sharp series. It's a series about a super salty British army officer as he fights through Flanders, Portugal, and Spain during the Napoleonic Wars. And yeah, that's exactly what it is. He, is he salty? He's, he's kind of salty. We'll talk about... He's
0: not on a ship, though. He's not a sea dog. So why would he be salty? He's interesting on the point. Wouldn't he, maybe he should be earthy instead because he's on, he's on
1: the earth. Yeah, the connotations of earthy don't quite match mm. the... like. Uh, outside the chain of command, energy mm-hmm. of Richard Sharp. How oh, is sometimes. he like a
0: loose cannon who gets results? So like you're gonna have to tell me what kind of guy he is.
1: Uh, okay, I'll <laughs> wait to tell you what kind of guy he is, Andrew. We should take a break first. Uh, but then I'll tell you what kind of guy this guy is.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Craig, if you're gonna write a series of 23 novels about a guy who <laughs> shoots his way across Europe, and I am, <laughs> uh, maybe you uh, want people to know about this stuff I do. that you're I writing. Do. And if if you want to let people know about it, you know, social media is collapsing in on itself like a dying <laughs> star. So what you're gonna need is a website. <laughs>
1: Rock solid website.
0: And there's no one better at making websites than Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They give you ready to use templates, easy drag and drop tools, 24 7 customer support, and all kinds of other stuff that has helped us make websites. It will help you make websites. It makes it pretty simple to do, even if you do not have any idea what you're doing.
1: We use Squarespace for the show, Mm -hmm. we used it for our weddings. Mm -hmm. We've taught other people to use it for our show pretty easily
0: yeah here's some things about squarespace that we like other than the stuff that we already said let me tell you about craig the fluid engine please i need to know about the fluid engine the fluid engine is a next generation website design system from squarespace it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity craig start with a best-in-class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile whoa is the fluid engine craig
1: My God, get your fluids together for the engine. (laughs) They
0: also have, once you've used the fluid engine to uh, unlock your unbreakable creativity, you can use the blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. You can categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. They also offer analytics tools, uh, learn where your site's visits and sales are coming from, and analyze which channels are most effective, improve your website, and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Wow. Analytics. Gotta love them. I love them. So if all this sounds good to you, why don't you march, steal a march over to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Craig, are you ready to tell me about Richard Sharp? This rifleman who I've not like I've read a lot about all the various books that he's featured in, but I haven't gleaned anything about his like personality, except that he's really good at fighting, I guess.
1: Yeah, he is a guy who is very talented at war, specifically uh-huh. skirmishing, specifically shooting people with rifles and mm-hmm being in charge of, like, a few dozen other guys who are good with rifles.
0: Yeah, the one of the plot synopses that I read about one of the Sharps book was, like, here's all 30 guys who are under Sharps' command <laughs> named. Like, I love like, it. Is that relevant?
1: It's, <laughs> I did see a chart on Wikipedia that, like, tracks when he gets different ranks in the British army. Like as he goes through the books. Yeah, I mean you gotta track the character development. It's just funny that's that probably
0: the, the number one way to know where a new Sharp book is placed in the in the chronology. By what rank get, he is. Yeah. You get your shiny new uh copy of uh, Sharp's command <laughs> when it comes out in twenty twenty three. And you read that he's like, oh, he's a he's a lieutenant or whatever in this one. That must be it must be pretty early. I don't know when. <laughs> it seems like it's toward the end <laughs> of the middle of the chronology. I don't know what rank he is, but that's just an example.
1: I do need to tell you that I think most of the books end with the title. Yes. The last line of this book is Gentlemen, I give you Sharp's Eagle. Yes. Oh, it's that's the birth. Pretty good. Especially
0: because the titles themselves are already so formulaic. And so if you end every single book with <laughs> that rules. <was laughs> so, just looking at this list of names again, my favorite one is a short story published in 1994 called Sharp's Christmas, which makes me think that it's just a little story where Sharp is visited by three ghosts to teach him about That's the what makes true it feel like such Christmas. a BBC
1: TV project to me. Like we have a <laughs> yeah. Christmas episode. <laughs> um, okay, here's the deal with Sharp. Some of this I have, uh, you know, is covered in this book. One or two facts I may reference. I may not remember to reference them, like, come from me reading about some of the other books. Um, so he is from a low-class background. He was born into a slum. He was an orphan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is it's only... The daughter of a or son of a sex worker, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, he's not... That's not really explored totally in this... Book, but it is like the main thing you get is he didn't pay his way into a command. And that is yeah, kind of yeah, got
0: a hard scrabble
1: quality to him. And they talk about that a lot in this book where the people who are lieutenant. So he's a lieutenant at the beginning of this book. People who are lieutenants and up lieutenant colonels and other you know commanders. Uh, typically, many of them have purchased their officer commission. Mm-hmm. They are rich boys or they are. Nephews of rich boys. Yeah, legacy admissions to the army. They are legacy war admissions, (laughs) aren't they? And to, to get up the ranks in the British army without doing that means you have to like... Be just amazing. You have to have done some brave, wacky deeds. You also have to be incredibly lucky to not have died already. You probably also it probably
0: helps to like save a rich person, like well, to, to <laughs> or to like be be to to earn the respect of a rich person who can then send you up the ranks.
1: I don't know the. I don't remember the details, but it is his time in India is referenced a lot, and he saved the life of Sir Arthur Wellesley, the future Duke of Wellington. Okay, Um, and he is is, is his patron. Yes. Yes. Um. So he is in the army of uh, Arthur Wellesley on the Iberian Peninsula in this book. Um, and so he's always kind of as he moves up later in this book, he becomes a captain. And he talks about this was something that was in the Patrick O'Brien book a little bit, uh, actually a little bit more than this one. Uh, Yeah, the life versus the plot. I see. (laughs) I was going to ask if
0: that uh, Patrick O'Brien summary had
1: any like salience for you. There's like two paragraphs where Sharp is like, I'm hanging out with all these rich guys, huh? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to feel about it because I'm Mm -hmm. a man. I'm a common man. And that's a big preoccupation of O'Brien, as I recall, in that first Master and Commander book. So mm-hmm. it's here, but he's got battles to talk about. So like, let's just like let's recognize some feelings and then move on. Okay. Um,
0: yeah. The um. So the formula that Cornwell yeah. uses for basically all of his historical novels, as far as I you know in the research that I read, is that he usually likes to take a smaller character-driven story. Such as Sharp's, you know, travails and his attempts to fit into a society where that he wasn't born into, yeah, we live in one um set against a larger historical story. And he, I guess it must be after the part where he says the name of the book at the end of every book. there is a <laughs> there is a section in the back of all of these books where he talks about where he chose to, like, deviate from the actual historical records to yes. make the story more interesting there's so a histo- we can talk about that too
1: yeah there's a historical note at the end that I mean, we'll we'll save that i think i don't want to you know ruin the illusion for people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but two quotes that i think get to our like who is this guy question um richard sharp knew no home other than the regiment no family except for his company and no belongings except what fitted into his pack and pouches. He knew no other way to live, and expected that it would be the way he would die. Ooh. Uh, so, one of the other like little details about him is that he has a little pouch around his <laughs> neck that uh, he keeps gold coins in. <laughs> And he he doesn't have too many of them,
0: so he just has a little purse. That's his that's his character trait. He has yeah, he's purse.
1: got a little purse. And like when they have a big battle, he'll go around and like you know loot some people's bodies and put some more coins in there because he doesn't have any like inheritance at home or anything. <laughs>
0: okay. And also, so Richard Sharp is just going around Skyrimming everybody on the <laughs> on this When he has field. time,
1: yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a particularly uh triumphant feat of daring do in the first half of this book hmm. uh he is getting grilled not getting grilled he's getting debriefed by uh sir arthur wellesley uh, who says you have a habit sharp of deserving gratitude by methods that deserve condemnation like okay very, so he's a
0: loose cannon so he gets resolved. He very gets resolved,
1: captain so. kirk mm-hmm. you know uh not not a han solo like he's still in the system you yeah. know yeah yeah um basically everybody on every star trek show is
0: like i'm gonna disobey orders th- this w- this one time and <laughs> the ends will probably justify the means and i'll just be back next week to do yeah. whatever i was doing before
1: he doesn't not <laughs> believe in the army it as right, like he just he just thinks some
0: of the rules are stupid and they don't apply to him
1: he thinks some of the people are stupid and he shouldn't listen to them okay sure and he is—he likes the authority that he has earned among his men. He starts mm-hmm. the novel with about like three dozen men in his command, um, but he is very aware of how authority functions within the larger battalion. And there's like a whole, like there's like a whole interlude after the first big battle sequence where he basically is like. Yo, these guys are going to get disciplined and they don't want to and I don't think that they should, but if they don't all of this is going to fall apart. So I need to at least like f- sort of facilitate it. I'll come back to that. It's it's Okay. There's a character so I need sounds to talk like, about.
0: <laughs> sounds like if you're if you're talking about Star Trek just to put a put a pin yeah. in this. More of a Michael Burnham than a Captain Kirk. And I'm not nobody I don't know who Burnham nobody is. Nobody understands that reference because it's from Star Trek Discovery, but I just want the record to reflect mm. that. The nuances of the character saw are note. slightly different from a Captain Kirk.
1: I saw a note that Roddenberry cited um, Hornblower as an yeah. as mm-hmm. a influence for for some of the captains for um, sure. Yeah. So um, okay. So it's eighteen oh nine. Sharp and his riflemen. They're on the Iberian Peninsula. They've had to retreat from a different fight. So they're kind of this like ragtag group of really good. G- gunmen yeah mm-hmm. a bit um, of guns and Wellesley is like not he knows how important good riflemen are there are plenty of guys in this book who have a musket right not I mean, too many guys for, who have mus,
0: rifles muskets are for jerks
1: <laughs> they are you know Um, and the the first we see of uh Mr. Sharp is he has received a, a leg wound from a, a saber uh, from a Frenchman and his second in command uh, Harper, an Irishman, is uh, maggoting his leg, like putting maggots in man, the wound to man. eat the, the bad flesh to make it's you know
0: so cool that we invented like medicine and doctors <laughs> later because this is what it was like. I know.
1: Uh, so he's recovering from that.
0: So they just like put leeches on you, and I'm like, yeah, they'll probably suck the. They'll either suck the sickness out, or you'll die. One the, of those two. The maggots probably will you'll get eat
1: the bad flesh, so your yeah. body grows back good flesh. Right. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. How it yeah. Works. And that's what. And that's why it's a good thing when you like get a nice juicy steak and it's got a bunch of maggots in it. Yes, it's it's because they're eating out the bad meat, so you can have get the choice stuff.
1: It's called sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Sir Wellesley and his British army on the Iberian Peninsula. They're going to meet this guy Marshal Victor, who is leading the French army. And is this, this
0: guy—is that his name, or is he a marshal?
1: You know, I don't know. <laughs> okay, he has a Wikipedia page. We could find out, but I don't mm, care to. Click I don't want to find out. I don't know. Um, and this is leading up to a real thing called the Battle of Talavera. This is a real event that occurred. Uh, Wellesley was there. Of course, Richard Sharp is a work of fiction, so he's named after a rugby player. He's not real. He's not. He wasn't there. Um, And they get attached. So, like, Wellsy's like, okay, we're going to keep your 30 rifle dudes. I'm going to attach you to the South Essex Regiment who just arrived from oh, England. Oh,
0: no. Everybody knows about the South Essex Regiment.
1: Well, they are just this battalion of fresh boys who've never oh, no. seen any action and they're led by sir henry simerson oh who...
0: that's a that's a nerd name so i, I li- sharp dumps
1: his books <laughs> i listened to half of this book on audiobook uh the recordings by frederick davidson he's got this very like mm, like <laughs> delivery, but then whenever he does simmerson, he's like, Oh, sharp, you I hate you. He's like a Saturday morning cartoon villain. He sucks mm-hmm. so bad. Mm-hmm. um and simmerson is this like you know silver spoon fed uh jerkwad who has connections in parliament, mm-hmm. and Wellesley's campaign in Spain has political enemies back at home who don't think it is a worthwhile affair, sure, so. Simerson being here could potentially like get undermine Wellesley's whole campaign, and mm-hmm. Sharp is like Wellesley's boy, so already and we all like,
0: we all know from modern politics that the most important thing is that the war continues. Yeah, <laughs> and so the I only mean, like they, those people back home who don't want there to be war is they're probably doing it because they're commies or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The
1: other thing about Simerson that sucks is he has no battle acumen and he thinks that the only thing he needs to do is discipline his fresh boys um with the lash so he is a big fan of flogging his boys um <laughs> you can't say that and they we can't put the explicit tag yeah. on this podcast and they you know he he will whip them for minor <sighs> infractions okay um Same, and i guess they <laughs> And they, like, they know how to do war, like, by the the, book. In the abstract.
0: Yes. They play the tutorial missions.
1: So, like, Sharp. (laughs) But they don't know about the meta. No, they know nothing about the meta. Sharp, uh, they can't adapt either. Like, Sharp cottons on quickly that, like, they only know how to fire two musket rounds a minute or something. I don't know a lot about muskets, but that sounds pretty slow. He's like, "Listen, you can get to like four or five if you don't like worry about these three steps that they teach you that you need to be really careful about." Like, they've overlearned their their warcraft.
0: Yeah, Um, Yeah, yeah. that's my favorite part of expertise about anything like what sometimes for me it's like computers and sometimes Mm -hmm. like baking and and cooking is you don't need to do some stuff yeah or just like learning yeah when it says that you need like a teaspoon of vanilla extract you just like just like bloop a little in yeah you don't need you don't need to like
1: measure it out i live a bloop life every time i'm cooking (laughs) now i love to live a bloop life bloop life bloop life So, you know, there's the scene where to like prove how good he is, Sharp teaches these men to shoot very fast, he does mm-hmm. it by having them take off their stocks. Do you know what a stock is, Andrew, in like military attire?
0: If you explain it to me, I will have seen it, but I don't know it. It's those I don't like associated with the name.
1: Very rigid, like black collars. That you'll mm-hmm. see on like old musketeers. Okay, that is sure. supposed to keep their like neck and shoulders really straight. Oh, okay. And wouldn't you know, Richard Sharp thinks that those are a load of hooey and yeah. all the men hate them because they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So he has them take them all off and put them in a big pile and they practice getting good at shooting by shooting their guns at the <laughs> stocks. <laughs> good lord. Okay. <laughs> and so already you have this thing where like the men of South Essex think that Sharp is cool. They think that the guy in charge of them stinks. You can't imagine that that's not going to escalate, right? Like yeah, that's going right. to be the thing. Yeah, no, um, they're
0: they're going to be standing on their desks saluting Richard Sharp. Yep. Just as um, he gets like kicked out of the regiment for something for his are, unconventional teaching style. Exactly. There <laughs> yeah. are
1: there are like two guys in the regiment that are cool. Lennox, who's a Scotsman who fought with Sharp in a different war, and Leroy, who's the American loyalist. I guess. I guess he's cool. I don't know. Sharp likes him. Mm-hmm. Um, there are guys we don't like. Obviously, Simmerson. There's his nephew, Lieutenant Gibbons, who sucks. He's ugh, I hate that That's guy. Another bad name. So far,
0: um, Cornwall's really good at giving sort of vaguely odious names to people who we're supposed
1: to not like it's true he's good Mm -hmm. at it and then there's lieutenant john barry whose only function is that he's friends with gibbons and sucks like that's his whole deal Mm -hmm. gibbons has been sleeping with a portuguese woman named josephine lacosta whose two notable characteristics are that she's hot and a former noblewoman Okay. Wait, why former? What happened to her? She ran away from her husband who had a mistress. And oh, okay. So now she's just kind of like, you know, with military men. Okay. Um I don't like her whole deal in the book, mostly because she is like, what if you underwrote a bond girl?
0: <laughs> I was gonna I was just gonna draw the bond comparison because one of the other things that I read Among just like the Reddit people who are chattering about these books is that he's got
1: like a different
0: love interest in everyone. Never, never settles down. Richard Sharp does like
1: a third of the way through the book. They're at a military camp. She is running from the room where Gibbons and, and Barry were. It's clear that they got into a fight and Sharp saves her. And so she starts shacking up with him and all of a sudden they're in love and she's like posing naked on his sword and, <laughs> well, he's like, what if we were in love forever? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like borrowing money from another guy to keep her in her like comforts or something. OK. And then he has to he does wind up having to exact revenge uh, for these two guys for assaulting her later in the book. OK. Um, And he does so like during the battle. So like he doesn't get in trouble for it. <laughs> But it proves that he's not like a more. It's not. He's not a fully morally upstanding guy because he's like, yeah. I will seek revenge one one to one on the battlefield. Like justice mm-hmm. will be mine, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I I'm not gonna talk about her plot through the rest of the book because like, uh, it kind of it kind of it not really there. It's not there, and it it the. I don't know how the other books kind of treat these characters that flit in and out of the plot because like maybe he invests a little bit more time in them um, or in Sharp's connection with them. It reminds me of reading Casino Royale actually and, you know, like getting a whiff of where the Bond girl thing goes, but it's like Mm -hmm. not all there yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's usually, even in these like super formulaic, series that have like two dozen books in them usually the first couple are still like not quite as conformant to what the formula becomes Yep, yep so yeah
1: um oh i forgot to mention that she is introduced by uh the irish second in command harper i do like this guy generally don't like when he interrupts a conversation to look out a window and go that is nice oh sir that can clean my rifle any day of the week
0: why didn't you, why didn't you like him saying that, that awesome, that awesome, cool thing
1: that he said. I didn't like that uh, Bernard Cornwell's editor clearly, you know, made him strike out the Awuga that he yeah. had put in after that It's like sentence. the part where his tongue, like, falls
0: out of his mouth and rolls out on the floor like a fruit roll-up. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: so that, you know, whatever. Um, But the, you know, the... the opening of the plot of course they're set up with this stinky regiment of stinky fresh boys Mm -hmm. and their stinky leader and the stinky rich boy and uh but they are gonna go blow up a bridge in spain Mm -hmm. the french army is out gallivanting in europe as they do as they do napoleon is really winning out there and wellesley's like you know we're gonna march towards paris we're gonna i i don't know if he's like trying to free madrid or something i don't know he's marching east in spain is this
0: like pre-exile napoleon or
1: oh yeah napoleon is like you know in great shape in this book i believe i just Um,
0: barely know enough about napoleon to know about that but like the vague timeline of of uh good napoleon versus bad sequel because wellington is the one
1: who (laughs) who who ends up defeating him Mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. um, at Waterloo, the Abbe song. Yeah, Wa- Waterloo's the Abbasong, song, yeah. Yes. and the
0: the Sharp books do encompass the entire, you know, the entirety Great. of okay. those years of European history. So yeah. wonderful. Um, In fact, and... probably the book Sharp's Waterloo is the <laughs> one. that <laughs> is the one that covers Waterloo.
1: I really need to know how that book ends. I'm like, not, how does it I'm say Sharp's joking. Waterloo at the end of that book?
0: Maybe it's like he's trying to get with a girl, and she turns him down, and he, and wow. somebody comes up to him like, "Wow, this is this is sharp's Waterloo."
1: So they get hired by Wellesley to go blow up this Spanish bridge mm-hmm. that they um, is on the south side of like It crosses a river, like bridges do, and <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the point being that if they blow up this bridge, it's one less access point by which the French could maybe flank Wellesley's army as it marches east.
0: Right, because a bridge sort of exists to join one point to another point. It's exactly, of as a
1: kind of bridge between them. Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, a river crossing. Um, and so, uh, Sharp, who gets along with this guy Hogan, who's like. He's an engineer. He's not, you know, a, a fighter. Um, and he is tasked with doing the, like, actual, you know, explosive blowing up of this bridge. I think in later uh-huh. books he's, like, referenced as, like, a spy master or something. Um, but in this one he's just the guy who knows how the bombs work. Correct. And so they're going to go out to this bridge. They have to bring a bunch of Spanish – they have to bring a big Spanish regiment with them. Because it is a Spanish bridge and the British want to blow it up. So for like politics, <laughs> mm-hmm. they have to go with them. And they get there, whatever, whatever. Uh, for whatever reason, pride or something. Mm-hmm. Uh uh-huh. um, That's usually why stuff happened back yeah. in the 19th century. <laughs> Simerson and the Spanish regiment crossed the bridge to the side where we know French might be. They didn't need to do that. And the bridge hasn't been blown yet. And there's like 800 guys mm-hmm. between these two battalions, I think. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe more. Sounds like a lot of guys. They a French, you know, squad series of squadrons. I don't know all the terms. I'm picking some of them up. Okay. Um four squadrons of French cavalrymen, 400 guys, appear over a ridge. Mm-hmm. And Simmerson's like, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make all my men march around in formation because <laughs> he knows all the formations. Uh huh. And the because he did the tutorial level. Yes, the French horse boys are like, great job, oh la la. And they get a little too close to the Spaniards, and this mm-hmm. is like one of four times in the book that just some Spanish guys make a bad decision. Okay. And they they fire at the French. And then all of a sudden, the horses are charging the Spanish regiment. And they have whatever stat they need to not break rank and run away, they have it in negative. So, like, Mm -hmm. they fire their own guns and then just start running Mm -hmm. to try and get across the bridge. This causes a rout in the Spanish and British forces. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of guys are getting killed and wounded. We learn about which weapons are better against which units. (laughs) Right. Again, Uh, like the tutorial level. You and I have been playing a lot of Age of Empires lately, and it really feels like that's what I was reading for for this battle of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got
0: to get your pikemen to fight your horses, your horses to fight your archers. It's a lot
1: about (laughs) like, well, the horses won't come close to the musket guys because they have the bayonets, and the muskets will just shoot the horses. Right, And and they also make loud noises. They make loud noises, and then, but if you get pretty close then like the horses with their sabers can just kill guys pretty easily. And they're going to kind of come at you from the, side, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, this whole fracas ends with sharp on the wrong side of the bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, After like the battle, this initial wave of the battle has pretty much ended. Most of the British and Spanish uh, infantrymen have run away. Uh, Mm -hmm. the riflemen have fended off the initial cavalry charge with their guns because the horses aren't good against guns Mm -hmm. and so just as the French guy rides up because they do this like post game like good game good game thing where they talk (laughs) to each other about how it went Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen next Yeah. and the French guy rolls up and just as he gets there the bridge (laughs) blows up oh no
0: (laughs) <laughs> I literally threw my Chekhov's hands in the air.
1: Bridge bomb, yeah. Simmerson blew it up because he didn't want the French to come get him. But he's left Sharp out to dry, of uh-huh. course.
0: Yeah, because he's he's just some he's just some uppity guy who doesn't know better.
1: And part of what the French did in that initial fight was that they stole the King's Colors, Andrew, there's all, speaking to <gasps> That's just honor, a flag, right? It is. It's a flag. Okay. But, like, there's, like, multiple pages about how important it is to defend your flag, and if, you know, if the enemy takes it, it's very, uh, you know, disrespectful, and you're dishonored because you let them take it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So Sharp is unable to prevent them from stealing the Union Jack, but he is able to defend his own regiment's flag, which is a thing mm-hmm. that you have. And the French guy's like, "Well, I was gonna come up, and we were gonna like maybe talk about like not fighting anymore. But then they blew up the bridge, and so all of your reinforcements can't help you. We're gonna mm-hmm. come back in an hour and fight you, and you're gonna lose." <laughs> <laughs> and Sharp's like, "Okay, I guess." Mm-hmm. He has a plan, Andrew. Of course he does.
0: Why wouldn't he? He has. A That's plan. his whole thing.
1: And he, it's kind of cool. Like uh, the quick version is that. While they're tending to their wounded in the, in the negotiated hour, he mm-hmm. hides a bunch of his rifle guys among the dead bodies. And okay. so the French are wheeling out this artillery gun that's supposed to take them out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But the, the guys who were pretending to be dead get up and shoot the guys manning the artillery and then sharp's dudes run in and steal the artillery gun and start shooting all the horses.
0: That's maybe my favorite thing about some eras of military history. It was like the first guy who had the idea that you could just like lie and trick people <laughs> instead of just like two lines of men like honorably marching toward each other and dying for no reason.
1: There is a lot of like, oh, those people are information formation. We're going to be in a better formation or in not a formation. And that is Mm -hmm. what will help us win. Um, Of course, despite claiming this artillery and winning the day, um, Simerson wants to court martial him for, you know, refusing to be imprisoned by his own authority because he hates Richard Sharp. Mm -hmm. And Wellesley's like, shut up, you idiot. This guy's cool. I like him. I'm going to make him a captain. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And he's going to be a captain in your battalion of the light brigade. Okay. Or like the light troops or whatever they so are. So he's
0: making them still work together with the Stinky Boys?
1: Yeah, because the Stinky Boys, but he did downgrade the Stinky Boys from being like their own battalion. Now they're a battalion of detachments, which Ooh, is like- That sounds bad. It's island of misfit groups that get- formed <laughs> island, a,
0: island of misfit boys. Yes.
1: <laughs> that get formed into like a temporary you know battalion and t- and they're not like not on the books in the same way, so it's like kind of a disrespect to simmerson, which is kind of neat mm-hmm. uh they march on they're eventually gonna make their way to this uh battle of Talavera on the way <laughs> they hook up with um this guy named Roland Hill. He's a general in the British Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm skipping over all the Josephina stuff because whatever, I don't care. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and also Sharp is happy to be a captain. He's pretty stoked about it. And um, when you say
0: you don't care, it just you are mostly serving as a proxy for Cornwell, who doesn't who doesn't just, also <laughs> doesn't seem to care that much correct. about Josephina. Okay,
1: if he cares about Josephina in in as much as. At the end of the book, Sharp and his pal Harper, who helps him, ends up killing two of the guys who mess with Josephina. Mm-hmm. As I said, and it's like that is there to teach you about Sharp. It is not there to invest in the character of this woman that he put in the book. Okay. Um. But anyway, we we join up with General Hill, whose name, mm-hmm. according to the historical record, his nickname was "quote unquote" Daddy. Hill. <laughs> and he is only spoken about in the book as quote-unquote Daddy Hill. Is he quote-unquote Daddy in the book, or is it's, he just Daddy? No, it is quote Daddy, close-quote, Hill. Whoa, okay. Over and over again. All and right. He, the troops all call him Daddy because he's nice to them. <laughs>
0: that's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's one reason why you call somebody Daddy.
1: He's like... He is described as kind of, I don't know the way the way he walks around and makes everybody feel like heard and like a human, um, just reminds me of like various stories you hear about like presidential candidates who don't act like lizard people where like their their special <laughs> skill is that they make you feel like the most important person in the room and you're they just make like,
0: you feel like you're talking to a human being and not. An automata in a suit. Yeah,
1: and you're, you know, you are a, a caucus voter in Iowa, and suddenly you feel like you're talking to, like, an old friend, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. But there's this whole fracas with these deserters and... It's not, it's not a fracas. It's a hullabaloo uh, with these deserters. And then they've come back, so they have to get executed. And during the execution, all these guys who hate Simerson are like, mmm, they're like, mmm, making noises. <laughs> is described as humming and moaning. Like okay. they are mm-hmm. showing disrespect to Simerson for this execution of these guys. Sure. Okay. And so he decides... Uh, six guys from every unit need to get flogged like later today. Yeah, like you just gotta meet your get quota. Get ready. Mm-hmm. He gets a letter in the morning. Simerson does that says there's like no one's gonna stand for the flogging parade. Oh, like, no one's gonna do it, basically. Mm-hmm. And without talking to anyone, uh, Simerson runs to Zaddy and is like you need to call in the german cavalry to help me discipline my guys mm-hmm. and sharp instead is like well let me discipline the guys myself and we'll just get in parade formation we'll suck it up and deal with it and they do it because like they weren't actually going to go through with it no one had mm-hmm. actually tried to order them to do anything mm-hmm. and there's this great seed where daddy hill sees them all in parade formation he's like hey my boys <laughs> you disappointed me earlier by being so disruptive, mm-hmm. and you're here early for your punishment. That's so nice, <laughs> you know. Ah, uh, I really wish we could punish you, but Simerson said we can't. He canceled the punishment. <laughs> I'm gonna walk through and say hello to everybody, All and right. like so. Good Simerson, job, Daddy. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Simerson is enraged. He's humiliated. He knows it. Sharps work. Yada yada yada. And so like all of this is building towards you know that Sharp is gonna be in danger uh to Gibbons in the you know, the final scenes of the book. Mm-hmm. Um that stuff it's oddly satisfying despite how tropey I know it is. Like it okay. is there is a whiny jerk who has more power than he should have, and the character that we trust is technically under his thumb, but never like truly faces consequences for standing up to him. Okay. Um, and then the the like the back part of the book is this big battle. Um there are lots of confusing and exhilarating things that happen <laughs> as uh the British, you know, put in their defenses around Talavera. There's a bunch of Spaniards who are also uh, like kind of ensconced in some, you know, defensive positions. They scare themselves by firing at the French. And like thousands of them flee the battle. This is a real thing that happened. They just get they just
0: spook themselves because their guns are too loud or something. The way it, it is depicted
1: the- in the book, and I think this might be a little bit of an invention, is that the French are like some cavalrymen are having fun shooting at snakes in the grass as like uh-huh. target practice, uh-huh. and the Spaniards don't know what they're doing, so they fire like thousands of musket volleys at them, <laughs> and then they no one gave an order so they're all confused as to what all the firing's about and they flee into the town and cause a whole bunch of chaos and like (laughs) uh it's really weird and strange it's like one of four different uh, the other thing that happens that the spanish do is they were supposed to surprise the french at like five in the morning with a raid Mm -hmm. and it was sunday and the spanish didn't want to get up
0: i mean we've all been
1: there so they didn't do it. And so then mm-hmm. when they fight the French later, the French have like two times the number of guys because <laughs> <laughs> the Spanish were too lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, the big thing, and I kind of, I should have talked about this earlier. It's the title of the book. Sharp's Eagle.
0: Yeah, what's Sharp's Eagle? Does he have a cool like bird that he sends out to like claw no. people's faces or something? Like what's his, what's his eagle?
1: So after the th- the thing where he stole that artillery cannon and, and did some cool stuff and made Simerson mad, Simerson wrote a letter back to the, to England saying how much of a jerk that Sharp was and how you know disrespectful and and disobedient he was. And so Sharp realizes that despite getting a captainship in a few weeks uh, when they come back from this battle, he's probably going to get shipped off, back off to India to, like, die in obscurity and, you know, not have a good career. Okay. And everything that he's gained will be lost because Mm -hmm. uh, this guy is well-connected back in Parliament. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. he surmises, and this was a promise he made to the dying Scotsman Lennox, uh, if I could just capture one of the French standards, which are these gold eagles, Mm -hmm. the French army has taken not to using flags, but to carrying these golden eagles that it is rumored that Napoleon has individually touched all of them uh, so that if you take one, it's, like, really sticking it to Napoleon. <laughs> So Sharp has like created a MacGuffin for himself where he's like, if I can get one of these guys. Yeah,
0: Napoleon's going to really going to really steam Napoleon's beans.
1: And everyone in the British Army will be like, this guy is worth it. Uh, he gets results. We can't send him off to India. Yeah, yeah. He got like the little. He got the little statue that Napoleon touched. Like he's awesome. <laughs> and so that is kind of what animates him in the whole battle at the end. There's a bit where Simmerson retreats, gets relieved of command, and then the the South Essex, which is cool now because somebody else is in charge, <laughs> goes back into the battle. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, sharp through some cool use of his boys uh manages to get the eagle um and then after the battle like you know like this like young boy dies who was like uh sharp didn't want to die in battle he thought he had many days ahead of him mm-hmm. um there's like this realization that comes on sharp where he's like oh wow Simerson got fired, so anything he said against me like wouldn't carry the weight it would have anyway. Also, all these men died because I wanted this eagle, and now I have mm-hmm. this eagle. I don't even know if I needed it. Like, it's is... kind of
0: stupid. I don't even know if Napoleon touched it. it exactly, barely, it barely it, looks like an eagle. Like, I was I? <laughs> not
1: expecting this book, which has a lot of like kind of you know adventure story heroism in it, to have a few passages that were like, was any of this worth it? Mm-hmm. Sure. Because there's there's the micro, was any of this worth it for sharp? And then in an epilogue, Wellesley is like, yeah, we won that battle, but then the Spanish biffed it and like forced us to retreat all the way back to Portugal anyway. So we have to leave Spain. We're gonna come back, I promise, but like all of the ground we get we gained is gone. Right. And but we can celebrate this guy who got that eagle. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> Uh, So, like, that was, in addition to the interesting battle sequences where you're, like, you know, not only is Sharp doing cool stuff, but, like, Cornwall is really invested in, like, the French guys have, like, nationalism on their side and mm-hmm. march in big columns, but the British guys know how to line up, you know, in a line of two so they can all fire their weapons at once. Mm-hmm. Like, who, is, who will win? Uh-huh. you know ha 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 um <laughs> that stuff is that stuff is neat um i'm i'm, un, I'm not doing a good job of selling it because i'm doing it out of context but uh-huh. um there's also and that's stuff, and that's sharp's eagle <laughs> and that's sharp's eagle there's stuff where like characters are quipping during battle which is kind of fun um do you have like a, just a section
0: of prose to read as we try to wrap up yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah show me some of this Cool, consistent workmanlike prose that I've read so much about on on the old reddit.
1: Oh, well I f- I'll try to find some battle prose um, so this the kid that I mentioned who dies and was it worth it, uh, Denny um, is one of the many characters that Sharp exchanges like two or three lines of dialogue with like while people are getting shot uh-huh. and things like that Mm -hmm. he says Sharp pushed him to the ground don't make yourself a target Mr. Denny they like to kill promising young officers Denny beamed from ear to ear at the compliment what about you sir (laughs) why don't you get down I will Mm -hmm. remember to keep moving Uh, and then there's a graph where it's like Harper was kneeling by Hagman loading for him and picking out ripe targets for the old poacher Sharp gave him gave them his own rifle and left them to pick off the enemy officers. Knowles was sensibly watching the open end of the line, directing the fire of half a dozen men to stop the White Coats outflanking the South Essex, and Sharp was needed there. He does this a lot where he'll be like, this one guy was shooting at those people and it was cool, but also I can zoom out and like tell you how hundreds of men are moving at once. Like, mm-hmm. That, I think, is the... That is what this book has to offer. It's the micro versus the the macro if you're It's all happening at continuing once. Continuing with the Age of Empires. <laughs> yes. Stuff. And and he likes to dance between the two, especially cuz Sharp is like a battle genius, so he can like think about all of this stuff no matter what he's doing, uh-huh. right? Um and then <laughs> there's one thing I do like in addition to the like the battle quips is he will occasionally have these like little moments that feel i don't know if he read them in a letter or where he got them where he's like you know the musket men are firing so fast that they don't have time to like get the caked powder out of their barrels like Mm -hmm. it's like getting clogged up in there Mm -hmm. so like literally dudes are running away from the firing line to go pee in their guns (laughs) to like (laughs) lubricate the inside of the gun to get the powder out I mean, makes sense,
0: I guess. I guess. That's I guess. a thing. He
1: must have read it in a book and was like, gotta put it in there. I mean,
0: that's, you know, you use the liquid that you have to hand and that's, that's what people had.
1: And there's another one where they're approaching this French regiment. And they're like sneaking up behind them because the regiment is also getting shot at from the front. And the person who sees them first is the drummer of the red of the little like squad, who's a little boy, and he's turning to puke because he's like there's so many dead people around him that he's uh-huh. sick. And that's how he sees the British like coming up on him. Like it's little <laughs> stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, that like makes the battlefield sequences really engaging. Sure. Um, in his historical note. He mentions that the first known stolen French eagle uh, was done by other guys a few years later. And like he apologizes to them for like coming <laughs> up with a little story. I'm sorry that my cool fictional
0: character is stealing
1: your thunder. <laughs> yep. Um, he talks about the, you know, the whole buying your way thing. He says that he made up the bridge and the river and the regiment. But everything else was real. Only the adventures of the South Essex and the capture of the Eagle are fictitious. He did. There was a Dutch battalion that Sharp fought, or that somebody fought, but he moved them in where they were in the battlefield so that Sharp could fight them. <laughs> so it does sound
0: like he's like if he's not being completely historically accurate in every aspect, he at least has done a lot of of research and is trying to get ahead of the nitpickers. Yeah. With this yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And he and I think he's interested in the nitpicking too. Like that's what is fun for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's
0: like, yeah, I know I know all this stuff is wrong too, but I'm trying to write a book here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I as someone who doesn't like in my contemporary life care for war. Yeah, it's not great. It is still it it always strikes me how interesting it is to still read like an engaging adventure story with you know classical warfare as a backdrop, mm-hmm. and like why I don't know it works because mm-hmm. guy's doing creative stuff mm-hmm. and he's fighting for his friends and he's stealing a bird. <laughs> Come on, Sharp's Eagle, please. Yeah, it's true. The, the 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 cleverness and the like the bucking authority thing is like if if you like these books, that's why you like them. I think. And also because
0: every book apparently ends with the title of the book, which well, is the thing I, I'll never forget about Sharp's <laughs> Eagle.
1: Okay. Uh, if you have read other Sharp's books and you want to tell us about your favorite one, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on social media at overduepod. We're probably on the service that you use. Our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go?
0: Overduepodcast.com is the internet website that we inhabit. (laughs) Up there, you'll see links to the books that we have read and are going to read. The August schedule, I think... Craig, if you have it up to read, you can read that in a second. Uh, But that is up there. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Support the show financially. Get us equipment and books and send our kids to daycare. And you, in exchange, get bonus episodes early. You get to sit in on bonus stream recordings. Uh, You get to join our Discord server um, and yeah, as far as getting bonus episodes early is concerned, like we are we are coming up on our reading of Emily Wilson's The Iliad. Woo, which I don't think we've been super like secretive about. like we definitely nope. are gonna do it. yep, um, So yeah, if you liked our Odyssey series back in the day, uh, that's that's coming up soon. Uh, Craig, what are we reading in the month of August? the aug- aug- August month of August?
1: Yes., uh, kicking things off with uh, the Department of Speculation by Jenny Offal. Uh, the Mysterious Benedict Society by Trenton Lee Stewart, uh, Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert, uh, and then our Patreon poll, our Patrons' Choice poll. Uh, we have several ladies of mystery. By the time this podcast posts, it will be we will know who the lady is that we are <laughs> reading, but at the time of this recording, it is still a mystery whether or not it will be Mary Higgins Clark, Ruth Rendell, or Nagayo Marsh. If you want to vote in our September Patron's Choice poll, which Andrew told me the theme will be sleeping or waking up. Yes. Because wake me up when September ends. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what books we're going to put on that poll yet, but if you want to vote in it, go to patreon.com <laughs> slash pod, And our bonus episode for the month of September will be, uh, or month of August, excuse me, will be Moneyball by Michael Lewis.
0: Yes. Not to be confused with "Monkey Ball," And we're really sorry if anybody got excited that we're going to read monkey ball
1: what if we played monkey ball well
0: we think about it all right everybody thank you for coming and listening to our show about this cool guy with a cool gun and until we talk to you next week please try to be happy <laughs>
1: Who's a headgum podcast?